What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. Sports Yak presents Irish Tales with Chuck Freebie and Bob Nagel. Stories from the land of the fighting Irish on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Irish Tales. Chuck Freebie with the Tailmaster himself, Bob Nagel. Notre Dame has been sent to the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, Florida, where they will play South Carolina. Hard to say who's going to play for either team in this game, which is why if I were a betting man, I would stay away from this game. That's right. Because uh, South Carolina has been playing well, and the Irish ended the year 8-4. and four, But this is the latest in a long line of bowl games for Notre Dame, but almost all of those games, except for one, have happened within the last, 55 years, because for a long time, Notre Dame didn't play in bowl games. No, and Moose Krause was so happy when they decided that they would allow their team to play in bowl games. And early on, the uh, the uh, bottom line was if we're can, if we playing for a championship of some kind and and that type of thing. And uh, we certainly did against Texas a couple of times. But uh, it's kind of loosened up a little bit. You know, we've been to Shreveport. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and we've been uh, we're going to Gator Bowl, but they you know those those uh, bowl committees do a great job. They make the kids feel so welcome, and they get them involved in community service while they're there. And uh, it's a great experience for the for the kids. And the good news for the Irish is their defense has been playing well. So uh, no matter what happens offensively, and whoever takes over a quarterback, I think they'll have a chance, obviously, to compete and maybe win a bowl game. Of course, the one exception to that rule was back in 1924. Notre Dame played Stanford in the Rose Bowl. I believe Ernie Nevers uh-huh. uh, was involved in that for Stanford, and the Rockney had the four horsemen. It was kind of a build as somewhat of a national championship game back then, and the Irish making the long trek out to Pasadena and winning that game 27-10. to 10. But after that, uh, the good fathers at the university decided that that 
wasn't necessarily in the best interest of the mission of the university to to play in bowl games, and they cut that out until 1969, the the end of the 69 season, and Notre Dame went to play January 1st, 1970 in the Cotton Bowl against Texas. Yes, they did. You know, uh, just a quick note on that game back in uh, 1924. Yeah, because you were there. It was a cloudy day. No, uh, you know one of the reasons that uh, it was such a concern to the uh, the priests at Notre Dame and the hierarchy is it took it took almost fourteen days to make that trip back then. Mm-hmm. You were on trains forever and you missed some class time, and they just said, "Hey, we're not going to do that." But uh, yeah, nineteen sixty nine, uh, Joe Theismann and the boys uh, went down and uh, took on Texas. That was so exciting because it was was such a new page for Notre Dame football. And none of us uh, at that time had ever seen us play in a bowl game. And boy, I tell you what, talking to the players who did get to play in a bowl game, they were just uh, so excited about changing the tradition a little bit at Notre Dame and also having a chance to compete at a very high level against a pretty good team in Texas. Well, wound up playing Texas in back-to-back Cotton Bowls and splitting those. Uh, the Irish lost the first one, 21-17. Came back the following year and beat... Uh, a very solid Texas team by a count of 24 to 11. And that became one of the great Cotton Bowl rivalries because those two teams would play in three Cotton Bowls over the course of a nine-year period. When you think about the great coaches there, uh, uh, Daryl Rogers. Uh, Daryl Royal. Daryl yeah. Royal, as yeah. I said. Uh, Eric Parshigan, you know, getting a chance to face off and test each other. And, uh, you know, the bowl games really grew the fraternity that is coaching and you wanted to win and you wanted to make a trip and everything else, but you also got to spend some time with another program and, uh, without having to worry about the next game or the next game or the next game, that was it. You know, the bowl game was the end of the year. Well, and it was meant to be a celebration. It was meant to be something to reward teams for having a good season. And certainly Notre Dame felt rewarded when they came away from that victory in uh, 1971 over Texas because one of the trophies, when I worked in the sports information office at Notre Dame as a student, one of the trophies displayed there was a set of Longhorns uh, to celebrate Notre Dame's win over Texas in that 1971 Cotton Bowl. And it was um, put up on the wall of the office that happened to be for the number three person in that department at that time, Eddie White, right. who now works for the Indiana Pacers. Well, there was a day back in the 1990s where that trophy went missing from the office. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) It turned out in 1995, Lou Holtz is getting ready to play John Makovic's Texas Longhorns in Texas. might have been 94. I think that was the first year of the renewal of the series, and it was down in Austin. So Lou wanted to motivate the boys a little bit, and he had a manager take that trophy and strap those longhorns to the front of his golf cart. <laughs> and he was driving around the cart and he, he was, uh, something was playing eyes of Texas on, on a speaker. And then in those days, we used to all be able to gather around on Thursday night out at the practice field. Right. And you would get one last comment or two from the coach before the game. And so Lou pulls up in his golf cart. He steps out the golf cart, and he puts away his pipe. And he says, now I want to tell you, 
I'm pretty sure nobody saw anything at practice today. Now, of course, this is in the days before the Internet, before everybody had cell phones to record video, and you kind of had to... You understood what he was saying here, which was basically, this video is not getting out to Texas. <laughs> yeah. The Longhorns on the cart. Of course, he kept those there because it intimidated his golfing buddies. <laughs> I think, no, they... Uh, I can remember that trophy. That was... Uh, you know, in the early years in, in Ron Roger Velasari's office, he had so many different things that were given to the team or the coaches at certain, but got to keep them. And uh, now you'd be hard-pressed to find a, a whole lot of that memorabilia. It's in a back room somewhere, but sure. it's still out there. And, of course, that series with Texas, the most famous game between the two schools, happened in the 1977 Cotton Bowl, and it basically won Notre Dame a championship because the Irish were ranked five going in. Texas was ranked number one. They had a running back by the name of Earl Campbell. Heard of him, yeah. Who, if you're not familiar with the Tyler Rose, uh, dial him up on YouTube because back in the day, that was a force. That was a load. And the Irish were heavy underdogs going into the game. And they decimated Texas, thirty-eight to ten. Yeah, they had Ernie Hughes. I think was the uh, offensive lineman of the game. He just totally took apart an All-American tackle for Texas and allowed us to run the ball extremely well. And then uh, you know Joe Montana was able to take us down the field and get us on the board. And we didn't just beat Texas. And again, this time of year, that makes a big difference. And uh, so we uh, we whooped them pretty good. And then of course Lou Holtz claims that. Because uh, his Arkansas team beat Oklahoma, yes. that he actually won a national championship for us back in 77. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Arkansas suspend a ton of players before that upset of Oklahoma? They did. They had uh, players who had violated uh, team policy, much like what happened uh, in that game against uh, Southern Cal years later under Lou Holtz, where he uh, sent a couple of guys home. And uh, that was absolutely the, the case against Oklahoma. And I think Oklahoma probably took Arkansas a little bit lightly because of that. But uh, Coach Holtz had a good game plan, and uh, he thought that maybe Arkansas would climb up the ladder a little bit higher than mm-hmm. he did. But uh, as it turned out, there was enough votes for Notre Dame to get the national championship. And uh, what a what a tremendous, tremendous win for uh, Joe Montana and the guys. And Dan Devine was the head coach, but uh, – we had lost to Mississippi early in that season. And uh, the guys kind of rallied around each other and said, you know, we don't get to come back. You know, if we don't like the way things are going here, we don't get to come back next year. We're, this is it for us. And they, uh, they had a very close-knit group, and they got it done. Now, while that is the most fabled story of the Notre Dame-Texas series, it is not Notre Dame's most fabled Cotton Bowl moment. Okay. That would occur the year after that, a Notre Dame team that, Staggered into the Cotton Bowl a little bit, uh, had been beaten by USC in the final game of the regular season, played Bill Yeoman's Houston Cougars, a team that, quite frankly, at the time, not too many had pe- people had a whole lot of respect for. Right. It was a bitterly cold day Ugh. in Dallas, and the Irish found themselves down 34-14, to 14, and their quarterback getting some chicken soup in the locker room. Yeah, Joe Montana had a bad case of the uh, – I mean, he was just frozen and uh, wasn't ill. Hypothermia. Yeah, just couldn't get his body temperature up enough to function. And a little side story here, uh, they wanted to get him some of that instant chicken soup, 
but they didn't have anything to pour it into. And uh, Les Bodner, who was the team orthopedic surgeon for the Irish, uh, his wife, uh, Bunny, was a collector of pewter. And she had purchased a pewter mug uh, on their trip. And it was uh, in the car, which was parked close by. They ran out and got the mug, and they mixed the chicken soup up, and he drank it, and he came back and had a phenomenal, phenomenal finish of the game for the Irish. And Bunny still, uh, she had that mug on her shelf at uh, at home for years and years. And uh, the thing to uh, remember about that game was uh, toward the end of it, we were out of timeouts, and I think Coach Devine wanted Joe to run the ball. And uh, so Joe... Uh, decided to throw the ball into the bleachers and then hit Chris Haynes at the at the flag for the touchdown and then we had we kicked the extra point and we had a penalty and we had to kick it again and Chuck Mail had been our kicker all year and he was out with an injury and so we bring in our backup Joe Joe Eunice Joe Eunice and Joe Eunice hit the first one and it was waved off and now you got to go back. You know, it's a one. You got to win by one if you kick the extra point. And uh, Eunice nailed it again. And here's a guy, you know, that obscurity all season in practice and everything else, just working and working and working, not knowing if you're ever going to get a chance to do something like that. But Joe Eunice uh, had a great uh, performance for us in that game. And boy, the Irish came back and won that one. And then uh, blankets for everybody, please. Now, while that is somewhat of the Irish cotton bowl history, at least in the 1970s, uh, I would venture to say the most famous bowl game of the 70s would have been the Sugar Bowl in 1973, New Year's Eve. Moved to New Year's Eve because of national television. Right. Notre Dame and Alabama, uh, the Irish ranked number two, Alabama ranked number one, squaring off for the national championship down at old Tulane Stadium in <laughs> New Orleans. And the Irish win it, and the most memorable play from that game happens late in the game as Notre Dame is trying to protect the lead, pin back in its own territory. Tom Clements, starting quarterback, everybody's heard of him. Right. Nobody <laughs> had heard <laughs> of the tight end that he threw the ball to to seal the deal. Robin Weber, uh, probably third-team tight end on a – a team with a Dave Casper who was getting mm-hmm. most of this. If you're going to throw to a tight end, it's going to be Dave Casper. And uh, I had a good friend that was in that huddle on the sidelines. Uh, Frank Alaco was a backup quarterback. And uh, Tom Pagna, Eric Barsegian, Tom Clements, and Frank Alaco were in the discussion. And uh, Eric said, I want to throw the ball. And Tom Pagna said, no, we got to run it. He said, well, they're going to be in a goal line defense. We run it, we're not going to get anything. We're going to have to punt from our own end zone. And they're going to get the ball midfield. They're going to have a good chance to, to win the game. So Eris said, I want to take a chance. He goes, well, who are you going to throw to? He said, we'll throw the tight end. Well, they're double covering Casper. Said, who else do we have? Uh, Robin Weber. Let's run down Robin Weber's stats to that point. No catches. Yeah. <laughs> no yards. And uh, Eric told Tom Clements, he said, hey, look, we're going to run double tight end set. They're going to think we're running the ball. And uh, we're going to release Weber. If he's open, hit him. If he's not, throw it away, and we'll punt because that's where we'd be anyway. And uh, Tom Clements was driving up his uh, helmet. He turned around to Aaron. He said, Coach? And Aaron said, Yeah. He says, You want a first down or a touchdown? 
<laughs> and and that was such a difficult time, Clemens, because he always had to control the situation, went on through the pass. And, you know, later on, uh, you know, we were trying to run the clock out, and Clemens got clobbered, and he had to leave the game with about six plays to go. And Frank Delacco got in and was able to hand the ball off to, to the guys and run out the clock and win the, the championship. But that is, to me, that's still the classic game. I mean, there's so many heroes, uh, so many swings in the scoring in that game, so many guys that stepped up. And and uh, Alabama, you know, they had a little Elkhart flavor on that team. Well, Mike Stock, who had played at Elkhart High School for Tom Kurth, uh caught a touch or did he yeah. catch or did he throw the touchdown pass in that game to Richard Todd? I think, I think I, it might have been a halfback pass. Yeah. Um, but he had a role in that game, a major role in that game. And, of course, for a while, Bear Bryant had a pretty decent pipeline coming out of Elkhart. He not only had Mike Stock, but he had a kid named Rich Wingo, who was a linebacker who went on to a wonderful career with the Green Bay Packers and the NFL. So uh, the Bear was coming into Notre Dame territory and, and mining out some decent talent and nearly beat the Irish with it. Uh, Notre Dame winning that game 24-23. Yeah, he got himself a Marion High School player, too. Uh, John Morrow yes. played for Alabama and during those great years. And, you know, we were able to beat Bear Bryant uh, a couple times in a row, and he came in the locker room after that second time that we beat him and said, uh, I just want to be in a winner's locker room, so I came to see you guys. And well, the, the following year, as a matter of fact, in the Orange Bowl, Notre Dame upsets Alabama again, 13-11. to 11. Nobody knew at the time um, that would be Era Parsegan's final game. Yeah, I think the uh, guys on the team had an idea that it might happen. But, uh, you know, again, Alabama was heavily favored in that game. And uh, the average defense stepped up, did a great job in that game, and uh, they were able to come away with a, a victory. You know, thirteen to eleven when you get two prolific uh, offensive units like you had with Notre Dame and Alabama. That was terrific, terrific defense. A lot of big hits in that game, and uh, the biggest hit was that Notre Dame came away with a win in Era's final game. There was also one Gator Bowl appearance in the seventies, the only time that Notre Dame had faced Joe Paterno to that point. And if, at that point, the Gator Bowl seemed like such a step down for the Irish. They'd been in all these New Year's Day games, Cotton Bowl, Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl. Dandevine's 1976 team didn't have that great a season. They wind up going to the Gator Bowl and knocking off Penn State 20-9. to That's the only time that Notre Dame has won at the Gator Bowl. They've been there two other times. They lost to Georgia Tech one time under Bob Davey, 35-28. I believe he got beat by George O'Leary that year. Right. And then Phillip Rivers and North Carolina State did a tap dance on a Ty Willingham team back in 2002 and beat them 28-7. Yeah, and I think uh, for uh, Phillip Rivers, it was a pretty good resume to get in the NFL because he looked outstanding in that game. You know, you were mentioning a couple of the Dan Devine teams. You know, Dan's first year here at Notre Dame, team got invited to a bowl game and turned it down. Yeah. And that is, again, a historic moment when you think about bowl games at Notre Dame. But a lot of the guys who had played for ERA in 73 and 74 uh, were not real thrilled about going to a bowl game when you didn't have a very good record. And they brought up the fact that we were supposed to play for championships and things like that. And uh, I'm told that the resounding uh, phrase from the team was, we've got our ring. We won our ring two years ago. And... uh, 
they just uh, decided not to play, and uh, Notre Dame gave a lot of incentives. Uh, it's good for recruiting. It's good, you know, and the guys just said, you know what, trying year, we've had enough, and we're not going to play. You can't imagine a team doing that now. No, not at all. Not, well, again, you know, we've talked about this on our show. You know, it got to a certain point of where money, you know, like you're talking about moving the bowl game to New Year's Eve, the Sugar Bowl. Right. That's when networks found out they had a lot of power and they could move games around. And so, uh, yeah, today would be really difficult. And I think when you get to the point where if you're in bowl consideration, and it only takes a 500 record anymore to uh, get to a bowl game. But I think if you got something you can uh, – you can show you got something to play for. You have a reason. And under a first-year head coach, Marcus Freeman, I think it's a tremendous opportunity for the sure. Irish. And uh, obviously there's questions about who's going to play quarterback and, and that type of thing. But uh, just a great opportunity to, to stay together and get some extra work in. You mentioned Dan Devine, and his final game as the Irish coach was the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans when Georgia wins the national championship. They're, they're only one previous to Kirby Smart. And Vince Dooley and a kid by the name of Herschel Walker. Heard of him. He's been in the papers lately. <laughs> uh, they win at 17-10 over an Irish team that at one point was ranked number one and then, uh, again, kind of staggered a little bit down the stretch. A tie with Georgia Tech, a 3-3 tie, mm-hmm. and then wound up losing to at USC that year as well. Yeah, it was uh, you know one of those years when uh, we had great talent. We had uh, great ability on the team. It just... Uh, you know, everybody else that gives scholarships. So we lost a couple of games in there, and then uh, you go down and play. Herschel Walker was a load. And, uh, again, to hold them to 17 points with a running back like that. Actually, the star of that game was the quarterback, Buck Ballou, who really had a good game against the Irish. I only bring up the two Jerry Faust Bowl games for the stories that come with them. Uh, <laughs> 1983, they played Doug Flirty the Heisman Trophy winner in the Liberty Bowl, and the Irish were a solid underdog, and it was horrible weather in Memphis, Tennessee for that game. And Notre Dame is able to beat Boston College by a score of 19-18. to Right. But the following year, the Irish are asked to come to Honolulu, Hawaii, and play SMU, the Pony Express, Eric Dickerson, Craig James. I mean, SMU had it rolling at that time. And they're playing in the Aloha Bowl. Let me regale you with a tale from... (laughs) There are actually a couple. Yeah. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Jerry Faust was... Well, there used to be a comedian by the name of Norm Crosby who made... His his shtick was the malaprop. His shtick was messing up words or, or having them taken in the wrong way. Yeah. Jerry did not mean to have a shtick. No. But he certainly did in the press conference leading up to this game. So he is talking about the SMU quarterback who happened to be named Don King. No, not that Don not King. Not that one. But uh, according to Jerry, yeah, he could throw with either hand. He's amphibious. Yep. Never forget. And he caught a finger in his eye and scratched his coronary. <laughs> that, that was another one that came from that press conference. Oh. But the the tale that I re- will relate to you now is told to me by Tony Ferjanic, who uh-huh. is a linebacker on that team. And it's they're leading up to the Aloha Bowl, and it's December 7th. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, indoor practices were in the North Dome of the Joyce Center, but the team was in their, their tiny locker room inside the Joyce Center. 
and Jerry is addressing the team, and he's trying to get this team fired up about going to a, a bowl game that they didn't really want to go to. And he says, fellas, it's December 7th, and there's two, two events that every American remembers. Now remember, this is pre-9-11. Okay. Two events that every American remembers. The day that President Kennedy was shot in Houston... <laughs> And Frejanic says, at this point, I look over to Mike Kowaleski and I say, it was Dallas, wasn't it? Yeah. And the day that the Japanese bombed Pearl Bailey. <laughs> Frejanic yeah. says, I've got a towel around my neck. And I just bring it over the top of my head and over my face because I am laughing so hard at this point. Yep. I can't stand it. And uh, And we all knew what he meant. And, uh, we, we know what he meant. Yeah, as you said. And then, uh, uh, but I can remember the thing I remember most about well, two things about that game is that Jerry would walk by you at practice or whatever. And he, Are you going to the Lua Bowl? And I thought, is that anything like the, the Lua Bowl? <laughs> the Lua Bowl. But he was so excited about getting a chance to take the team over to Hawaii. Sure. Now, Joe O'Brien was our business manager. And after we beat Southern Cal, final game of the regular season. Uh, we're going to go to this bowl game in Hawaii. So he and a contingent of Notre Dame people flew to Hawaii to arrange for the two to 300 rooms that they're going to need. Yeah, They ran into a little bit of a roadblock because when they got to Hawaii, they said, we, you know, we're with Notre Dame. We're going to need three to 400 rooms. And they said, we don't have them. So, well, this is a bowl game. So the, yeah, it's also our highest tourist season. And we get about 800 bucks a room from the tourists and you're not going to pay us 800 bucks a room and this wasn't one of the higher paying bowl games you know and uh you know and everybody wants to go uh, staff and everybody wants to go and so we wound up uh i think we wound up with the band staying at the military base there and uh of course it's so nice out there you could sleep on the beach if you had to but uh we took a, a large contingent out there i don't think it was a money maker at all for notre dame but it was a unique experience, and uh, you know, get a chance to be in Hawaii. And uh, uh, in the winter time, it's not a bad idea. But uh, boy, there's so many things about uh, the logistics of that game that made it so hard for everybody to get there. And then, of course, under Lou Holtz, bowl games became pretty much a regularity for the Irish. Uh, they lost the first one he played in down in uh, Dallas, Texas, the year, the month after Tim Brown wins the Heisman, Texas A&M kind of embarrassed the Irish, quite frankly, 35-10. to 10. Uh, They would bounce back okay the next year in the Fiesta Bowl. Number one versus number two, West Virginia against Notre Dame. And the Irish win their last national championship in convincing fashion. It was 34-21, but the game really wasn't that close. No, it wasn't. And I think uh, you know when you look back to that, if they had the playoff system then that they have now, I'm sure that we might have had to play Miami again. We beat Miami 31-30 at home. And uh, I dare say that Miami might have been the better team. And if we had to play them again, I'm not sure we would have come out on top. But as it turned out, West Virginia was the only other undefeated team. Now, I think they were ranked seventh, but they were undefeated. And so uh, we said, well, I guess we have to play them and give them a shot. And we went out, we played well. We knocked our quarterback down in the first half. He uh, He wasn't able to finish the game and... Uh, it was just a, it was a great celebration. And when you think about Stonebreaker and uh, you think about Frank Stams and you think about Wes Pritchett and the leadership, Mark Green, 
uh, Ned Bolkar, uh, Andy Heck. We had great leaders on that team, and uh, that team wanted it really, really bad and uh, did a great job of uh, of leading us to that national championship. And as you said, Chuck, it, at the time it seemed like it was one of, uh, you know, maybe a few that we'd win under Lou Holtz. And, uh, well, sometimes you get a block called or a clip called or all kinds of fun things. Well, that would be 1990, right? The right. Colorado game in the Orange Bowl, and Notre Dame looks like it's got a Rocket Ismail pump return late in the game that is going to win the game, and a uh, block in the back is called against the Irish, which, uh, if I can read your facial expression now, 32 years later, you still have not seen it. That reminds me of the holding call against Notre Dame in the Southern Cal game when Eric Parsegian, you know, his first year, and they called a, a holding call on the Notre Dame offensive lineman. The video later showed that he was face down on the ground with two guys on top of him. So I don't know when he held exactly, but uh, <laughs> that could happen. No, I, it was it was a shame because uh, uh, Rocket was going to go to the house and we were going to find a way to win the game. And uh, just, you know, it, it comes down, it shouldn't come down to one play. I mean, there's always something that happened earlier in the game that would have been better, but. Uh, that was an exciting time. Even after the penalty flag flew, you are pretty excited about what was going on because he's heading for the house again. A year later, though, Notre Dame is invited to play in the Sugar Bowl. Notre Dame had not had the best of seasons in 91. They go down and they play a Florida team that was highly touted. Apocryphal or not, is, is it true or not, the Lou Holtz story about the waiter at the restaurant? I don't think there's any question that it's true. And... Uh, the guy came over and uh, said, what's the difference between Notre Dame and Cheerios? And the coach says, I'm not sure. He said, Cheerios belong in a bowl. And what does that mean? It means you don't, right? So Lou Holt said, uh, what's the difference between Lou Holt and a golf pro? Well, so he goes, golf pro will give you a tip. <laughs> and and that's not going to happen here. But uh, what, a, what a game. You know, Jerome Bettis. You know, you put him on a pedestal for a lot of reasons. He's just a great, great person. But uh, we get in that game, and Joe Moore is our offensive line coach. And we're gonna, we're gonna do the blocking according to assignment and things like that. And I remember Aaron Taylor and some of those guys were talking about how they, they said, "Let us zone block. Let us just take you know." And they moved the the slot. They were trying to run Jerome through the center guard slot. They moved it outside the tackle, and Florida didn't adjust, and he ran for about. 250 yards in that game and uh you know we take apart a, a pretty good florida team that had been prolific scoring but we played three down linemen and eight backs and uh, they couldn't beat that coverage shane matthews was the quarterback for florida back then i remember the monday night football crew did the sugar bowl that year and dan deardorff was just enamored with the irish offensive line and the job they did that night and the irish wound up winning that one 39 28 well, let's hit the fast-forward button to 1993. Notre Dame and Texas A&M looked like it might be enough to get the Irish the national title. They didn't. Florida State took the national title that year, even though Notre Dame had beaten them during the regular season. Nobody knew at that point that that would be Notre Dame's last major bowl win until now. Right. Right, and I was I was on the sidelines down there at the Cotton Bowl. My good buddy John Whitmer, the trainer, uh, we uh, we scored with about a minute and fifteen to go, and he said that's too much time. They got too much time. They got to come down. Well, we were able to stop and we won the game. Big celebration over at the hotel. 
Uh, Lou Holtz was on live TV a couple of times. Uh, everybody just celebrated. We had finished the season 11 and one, and uh, we had beaten the other team that was up for the national championship honor. So there's no question that, uh, you know, when you beat the team that's, uh, you know, you're up against in Florida State, you're going to be national champion. We thought we were. One of the great moments I remember with Lou Holtz the next morning, it had come out that the uh, AP had chosen Florida State as national champions. And at that time, there were two different. Uh, UPI was the other one that would uh, vote for a national champion. And Lou was up addressing the media and uh, said something about, you know, congratulations, Bobby Bowden. He's a dear friend. Uh, Florida State had a great year, but uh, we're hoping that we can get the other uh, championship on our side. And somebody stood up and said, Coach, the uh, UPI just announced that they're picking Florida State. Now, you're at the podium in front of 100 media people, and you just find out that your your wings have been clipped. Yeah. And uh, and Lou handled it very, very well. And uh, he just, you know, afterwards there were some comments. He said, hey. You know, control what you can control. You know, we lost to Boston College. We controlled whether or not we won the championship. And uh, so Florida State, uh, under Bobby Bowden, got the top prize. Unfortunately, since that time, Notre Dame's bowl history has been sketchy at best. Um, they've had wins in minor bowl games. Um, I'm looking here at the list. Uh, Charlie Weiss finally broke the streak in 2008. They beat Hawaii in the return visit to the Aloha Bowl, which was played on Christmas Eve. I'm not sure how many people actually saw it. <laughs> uh, but the Irish won that one 49-21. And then uh, the following year, they would Brian Kelly, or actually two years later, Brian Kelly would win his first bowl game as Notre Dame's coach down in the Sun Bowl. I remember I was working, uh, filling in at WNDU at that time, and the Sun Bowl went out and greeted the Irish party with a mariachi band. Which, as you well know, I'm in, I'm infatuated with mariachi bands. I wish I had one to follow me around all the time. So in the coverage leading up to that, every time I had a bowl segment, I played the mariachi band. Well, sure. <laughs> leading into Why, it. sure. Um, Harrison Smith had a great day that day, though. He had three interceptions. And Notre Dame beat Miami by a count of 33-17. And Kelly had some wins in bowl games. Uh, the Miles Boykin catch in the Music City Bowl in 2014, uh, memorable against LSU. But, uh, or I should say that was the Citrus Bowl in 2017. Yeah. Um, memorable against LSU. They won 21-17. But all in all, uh, the big bowl games, the ones that have mattered, the playoff games or the New Year's Six Bowl games, have not gone well for the Irish since 93. No, they haven't. And the first one, you know, down in Miami, um, I remember at the, at halftime I went down to the concession stand and, well, the way I always said it is after the game was over, I went and got a Diet Coke, went back to my seat and watched the second quarter because that thing was yeah. over early. And uh, I think we were outmanned a little bit. And uh, That's and, the one against Alabama, Alabama in 2012. And Alabama just played so well and had a great team. Well, Derrick Henry, uh, who took a pay cut to go to the NFL, uh, <laughs> still still doing quite well. Yeah. And, uh, that yeah, that was a loaded team. And, and Notre Dame had gotten through the season with its defense, 
Remember, that's also the year of the Manti Teo catfish saga right. that happens all around the Heisman Trophy. If you haven't watched the Netflix video on that, I, I think you should. Outstanding it's, effort. It's an educational thing. It kind of gives you an idea of, I'm not making excuses. Bama was clearly the better team. Right. I think Notre Dame plays better if they don't have the specter hanging over yeah, its was... best player, which wasn't known to the media yet, but it was known to Manti. Right, and I think to some of his teammates. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of laundry in that locker room uh, before they went out on the field. Yeah. So it was uh, it was tough, but uh, in in fairness to Manti, and as you said, that's a great effort by Netflix to tell that story. And, you know, people said, well, how can you be, you know, how could you be taken in on something like that? Let me tell you something about a Notre Dame athlete. I mean, you're going to practice, you're going to weight room, you're going to uh, dinner uh, with the team. You're, you're ten, at one time, football was a four-month experience. Not that way anymore. It's year-round. Manti wasn't from a family with a lot of money. He, he's, and he's from a very naive culture. Right, right. And uh, so why don't you go fly to see this girl? Oh, I can't. I've got enough money maybe to make one trip home per year to Hawaii, and otherwise I'm going to be a trusting young man who uh, has found a relationship. And, uh, I, you know, again, it's not our job to, to say it was okay or wasn't okay, but uh, Manta is a tremendous, tremendous leader. And uh, I remember him on defense helping other guys around him uh, to play better. And well, it's nice to see him come back to the university this year and right. and get the kind of response that he did. But those are some of the Irish tales that we have surrounding bowl games. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you liked it, uh, let us know through Apple, Spotify, wherever you receive this. Until next time, for the Tale Master Bob Nagel, Chuck Freebie, thanks for joining us here on Irish Tales. Sports Jack presents Irish Tales with Chuck Freebie and Bob Nagel. Stories from the land of the fighting Irish on the Studio DNA Podcast Network.